Hello, and welcome to a new edition of a BU News Service podcast. My name is Rachel Gottlieb, and I am a Master of Science in Journalism student at Boston University. Uh, today, we're going to be talking to you about this season of The Bachelor, which just, which just ended uh, this past Monday. It was a very controversial season, permeated with a lot of issues with the host and some of the contestants, a lot of these issues pertaining to racism and white supremacy. So before we get started, I do want to start by acknowledging that just yesterday, there were eight people shot in Atlanta, Georgia, um, in what many have deemed as a white supremacist attack amongst Asian Americans. We just want to acknowledge the way that white supremacy continues to pervade our society. And that's why it is so important to discuss issues of racism and white supremacy and how it persists in our media and representation, even in reality shows such as The Bachelor, which do have a pretty far reach in society. Uh, And we wanted to take the time to pay respect to those victims as well and to victims of racism and white supremacy everywhere. So thank you for listening today. All right, so I am joined today by two uh, social workers and bachelor and bachelorette experts, Lauren Morton. (laughs) They laugh as I say experts. (laughs) Uh, Lauren Morton and Elizabeth Valencia. Uh, Lauren and Elizabeth, um, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast today. Thanks so much for having us, Rachel. Yeah, thanks, Rach. Of course, of course. So um, do you guys want to say a little bit about why you're here? Yeah, so um, my name is Lauren Morton. I have been a Bachelor watcher actually since the one of the last historic seasons that we had, Rachel Lindsay's season. She was the first female Bachelorette of color, the first Black female Bachelorette. I started watching because I was interested in her season and interested that reality TV show had been on for this long and not had a black woman as the lead. And so I was intrigued, started with her season. I've been watching ever since. I feel like since quarantine, I've done a bit more of a deep dive into background content of the show. I've been listening to so many more podcasts than ever before. Um, I'm doing a lot more inter- like research on Instagram and social media. Um, the two that are the most important to me that have really added to the content this season is at Bachelor Data on Instagram, which uses data analytics to break down all different um, types of information for the show. Um, but really about you know race especially has been highlighted this season. And then as well as the podcast, Two Black Girls, One Rose, which has been a wonderful addition to my listening and really the only thing keeping me going through this season. Um, yeah, so I didn't start watching The Bachelor um, until Colton season. So that's really when I was a, a student at Simmons. Um, and the majority of my friends were all into Bachelor, um, the, the Bachelor franchise. And I had major FOMO. And I was like, I need to watch this because I don't want to be out of the loop. I don't want to be out of any conversations. Um, And one of my roommates also watched The Bachelor. So thank you so much, Jamie. And um, yeah, so I, so it was Colton, then Hannah, then Peter, and then Taisha. We don't consider the other one. And now, <laughs> her name is Claire. Claire <laughs> um, and now uh, Matt James for clarity, right? Um, so similar to Lauren, I 
also follow uh, Bachelor Data and I heavily follow um, Two Black Girls, One Rose. Um, I wait for their podcast to come out at 7 a.m. every single Wednesday. I really think it's the best $5 a month that I spend mm-hmm. um, because I feel like they have so much insight and I just love the way that they balance like their humor, but then also really talking about hard shit that nobody else or I don't want to say nobody else, but not so many other people talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, I also did begin to listen to Taylor Nolan, but unfortunately with what surfaced about some horrible tweets, um, I did step away from her podcast and I no longer subscribe to her. Um, so that, that's that been hard to kind of step away from that, but I think it's just really important for me to, you know, kind of have a different um just kind of gather you know there's always information out there so just gather more um information and kind of be a part of growth in like some smaller other podcasts which you know two black girls when rose is growing immensely yeah and elizabeth can you just um give us a really brief breakdown on (laughs) what the what happened with Taylor Nolan and what that event was just just really briefly yeah so um Taylor Nolan she was a contestant on one of the seasons Nick Files season I believe and um she I I didn't I didn't learn about her until I um I think it was two black girls one rose that kind of talked about her very briefly um I don't I actually don't remember who brought her up but I started listening to her Um, and she really came to prominence in the Bachelor Nation when she brought up the emotional intelligence, um, which is something that isn't really uh, discussed, and I think as a social worker, you know, she's a mental health counselor, and, you know, I'm a social worker, so it was, it really sparked my attention to just begin to follow her, Um, so a couple weeks ago, um, there were some pretty horrible tweets, I think, from 2010 to 2013 um, that, she had tweeted um, a lot of it, had to really deal with all the isms that were, you know, really trying to dismantle in our society. So, you know, racism, um, what are the others? Just, just pretty much everything. Fat phobia. Fat phobia, just, you know, everything. And um, I don't think I've really seen anything, you know, there. I mean, there's just a spectrum, but I don't, I feel like it was just really powerful and coming from somebody who was a mental health counselor. And um, allegedly some of these tweets also came out when she was a mental health counselor. Um, so, and some about her clients. And some about her clients too. Which you guys as social workers can tell us that uh, tweeting about your clients is yeah. completely unethical, right? It, yeah. It's yeah. completely against the social work code of ethics, and I'm sure mental health counselors have a similar code of ethics. It would also break HIPAA as well. Yeah, and I think even, too, if, like, no personal information was mm-hmm. shared, which doesn't break HIPAA, you know, she has such a platform. So I could only imagine if I was a client of hers um, coming across this tweet and being like, wait, I talked to her about this. Is this tweet about me, you know? And mm-hmm. that's that's just something where yeah. I feel like they, they even, like, pretty much teach us that in school to be very cautious with what you put on your social media that even though if it's private like all our information is out there so we really need to be mindful about the type of things um because we we you know I think the social work profession is also um really built on a foundation of whiteness so 
um, you know, really just being careful with that. And, you know, again, within just the field, we're also trying to break down um, a lot of the racism that that social work was built on, right? And we're really just trying to shift in a different direction. And we already have, you know, some of um, the clients that we serve who come from vulnerable populations also have this idea of what, um, you know, social workers are, like even whoever in the mental health field are. So, um, I think it's just really important to continue to keep, um, you know, a good image, but also, you know, just practicing what we preach and really just trying to be more mindful yeah. of that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that context with us about why, um, you know, how a lot of controversies, there's been more controversy than just what happened this season mm-hmm. within Bachelor Nation, and it is important to acknowledge all of it. Um, just to acknowledge my own experience with The Bachelor, so come and clean. Elizabeth and I shared this roommate, Jamie, and I too started watching The Bachelor (laughs) that season, Colton season, which was the fall of 2018. Um, My story with that was I I had never really watched before. I got home from work that night and everyone's in the living room. And I was like, I want to sit in the living room with everybody. Um, (laughs) I guess I just (laughs) passively watched The Bachelor. And within five minutes, I was like, tell me everything that's happening, please. I need to know everything that's happening. And I've been hooked ever since. Um, So let's get into this season. So um, to summarize, uh, Matt James was The Bachelor this season. Um, He was the first Black Bachelor to ever be chosen. And this was, what, season 25? Mm -hmm. Season 25. The show has been on the air, I believe, since 2003 or 2002. So it's been a long time um, with no Black Bachelor. Uh, There has been um, more than one Black Bachelorette, Mm -hmm. but no Black Bachelor. Um, And Matt James has also never been involved in the franchise, which is important to know because oftentimes uh, folks who are chosen to be the bachelor or bachelorette do have previous experience in the franchise. So a lot of you who are listening probably remember that this past June there was a resurgence in the Black Lives Matter movement and many companies and media franchises were committing to be more inclusive. And so... um, Choosing Matt James as the first Black Bachelor, I believe they acknowledged, actually, was a response to that. Um, So, uh, to make it more clear as well, um, he was a friend of Tyler Cameron's and Hannah Brown's. Um, Hannah Brown was the Bachelorette in 2019, the spring of 2019, and Tyler Cameron was the runner-up on that show. So, he gained a big social media presence from that. Um, and, and, um, Matt was also chosen as the, um, to, chosen to take part in Claire's season, um, which we talked about a little bit earlier, which happened this past fall. Laura, do you want to say a little bit more about that? Yeah. So I think deviating, taking someone from outside the franchise is new recently. Apparently that used to be more common, but almost all the recent seasons, they've chosen one of the first runner-ups or somebody who has been on the franchise before. So Choosing Matt James was surprising, although, as Rachel mentioned, he was actually cast for Claire's season as a contestant before the pandemic, and they recast 
afterwards um, to add in and subtract some contestants. And that's when they claimed Matt as the bachelor. He also at, like gained a pretty big social media following, I would say during the pandemic when he was living with both Tyler Cameron and Hannah Brown in Tyler's hometown of Jupiter, Florida. They were oftentimes just posting funny TikToks and videos. And so he kind of gained more popularity that way. Um, and ABC, I think, was hoping to maybe make him the next Bachelor by casting him as in Claire's season, but then decided to, you know, in June, in a response often really to the death of George, the murder of George, George Floyd and the resurgence of the BLM movement to have their first Black Bachelor, finally. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, you know, as we sort of addressed before, um, you know, again, first Black Bachelor, these tweets from Taylor Nolan, um, and a lot of just the general structures of the show, which we could have a whole other, you could have a podcast series about that. I was going to have episode. You probably, there are series about yeah, that. Yeah, those exist. <laughs> <laughs> and perhaps we can provide recommendations towards the end of this episode. Um, but a lot of issues within the franchise leading up to this, and part of the reason this season was so controversial is because they really all imploded at one time within the eight weeks that this show was on. So many of these issues were put right in front of people um, with the way that women on the show were given screen time, with the way Matt himself was portrayed, um, with the choice of Matt himself, um, because there have been black men cast on the show before. And one of the things that I think we should talk about is why certain black men maybe weren't chosen versus Matt James. Um, and then also with the host, Chris Harrison, and one of the contestants, um, Rachel Kirkconnell, um, which those of you who have been following this controversy have probably heard those names and know, um, know what happened there. So... Um, how did this season uh, begin? How, you know, take us, let's, let's, let's walk everyone really briefly from beginning uh, to end. Yeah, so this season kind of began the same way any other season would with the limo <laughs> entrances. Um, I feel like they really tried to make this season, you know, historical with Matt as the first Black Bachelor, but I think what was difficult for a lot of it is that they didn't change any of the other production styles or you know, any of the other aspects of The Bachelor. So Matt was announced. They did cast a very diverse cast. I think the most diverse cast of women ever for contestants um, and had people of all different races, ethnicities from places all over the country. Um, you know, all still beautiful, thin women, obviously, um, but all different, you know, races and ethnicities, which was great. Um, really started off, actually, it started off with a conversation between Matt James and Chris Harrison, where right <laughs> as Matt James was about to start the limo entrances, he, you know, coincidentally interrupted Chris Harrison and asked for a side conversation. And Chris Harrison, as a white middle-aged man born and raised in Texas, was then tasked with, you know, having a conversation about race with Matt, where you know, the term race and the words black and white were never even brought up. But Matt really conveyed this sense of pressure that he felt starting this season, even without saying, you know, who the pressure was coming from or how he felt it, but really how much pressure he felt that certain people would think that he would pick a certain person or another. Um, and then we met all the women and it really seemed to go off and start off as a regular season. Um, but I think, you know, we noticed as the season progressed how, it was a, it was different than others. Yeah, Elizabeth, was there anything um, that jumped out at you this season that you think is important 
for people to know before we kind of go into our analysis of it? Um, not much I could think about right now. I think um, the conversation that Lauren brought up with Matt and Chris Harrison, I think it was, you know, from like an audience perspective, I, I feel like it was seen very differently. So um, if I remember, um, Rachel, Lauren, and myself had different perspective. Um, I think myself as a Latina woman, I was just like, what is he saying? Um, what, like, you know, just kind of already making it, like, from my perspective, I was like, well, he's already talking about um, by POC people, I think specifically Black people, as that's um, uh, that's his identity as a Black person, um, kind of speaking to that audience, like, hey, I am, you know, just speaking to them, like, that they're the ones that are going to start the problems, right? And that's the way I took it. Mm -hmm. um, so I remember Rachel and Lauren kind of just took a general, um, mm -hmm. if, if I remember correctly, yeah. please correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, and right. um, and I, I think it was really confirmed for me when in the podcast, Two Black Girls, One Rose, um, it's in the name, it's, it's two black women who uh, host the podcast and they kind of, confirmed the same feeling that I was feeling about he was speaking to a specific audience and he wasn't speaking to the general white population that watches Bachelor mm. he was speaking to uh you know the the audience of color um which I could think of predominantly black people again as that's his identity yeah and I I had just had one thing to add so I think that it as as Liz said, you know, as a white woman, I did take it differently and I took it more as, oh, he's saying that he is, you know, he has pressure from the white community to maybe choose another person of color. Because I think the trope that we often see play out in media is that people of color are paired together as opposed to paired in interracial relationships. But as Liz said, you know, she shared with me and I listened to Two Black Girls, One Rose. And I think listen, for me as a white woman to listen to podcasts and listen to the opinions and perspectives of people of color, especially black women for this season was really important because my takeaway is just one perspective. And, you know, I think what ABC really should have done more of is consider their viewers who are not the majority white population that view. And you know, they're increasing viewers of color, hopefully. Um, I think one thing that they really stressed in the beginning from the very start was that black, that Matt is not just black, he's black and white. In the beginning, they showed his white mom from the start of the season. Parents generally never visit until the end, but they had his white mom on the season more than I've seen any other parents and consistently pushed the narrative of his black father who abandoned the family. That was a theme throughout and cult cultivated at the end where we actually get to meet his father and witness an incredibly personal and uncomfortable conversation that we really should not have been witness to. But that narrative was pushed from the beginning. Yeah, I, I appreciate you both bringing that up. And something I wanted to acknowledge as well is that um, I and Lauren, though I don't want to speak on Lauren's behalf, um, mm -hmm. are coming at this from the perspective of white women. Mm -hmm. So, um, of course, going along with that, I watched this season as a white woman and a lot of these things that we're going to talk about, um, you know, didn't have or are not things that have a personal impact on my life. And, uh, you know, we do still feel we have an obligation to talk about them and discuss them. Um, but we wanted to acknowledge that as well. And a lot of the thoughts that I had while watching these um, 
events and episodes play out that Lauren and Elizabeth just acknowledge is I was thinking about how do the other white women watchers of The Bachelor perceive this? How are they consuming it? Um, and what message is it sending them? So, for example, that narrative of Matt's black father abandoning his family, um, what stereotypes is that reinforcing for mm-hmm. white people who are watching this? Um, and for a lot of the younger white women who are watching this and why is it important that we talk about that? So um, so we'll get into that a little bit more as we continue going. Um, I want to move on to talking about some general thoughts on the season. Um, maybe what were our expectations versus reality, mm. some disappointments versus some good outcomes. Um, I think the first thing I want to say is that, so the show started out, as I believe Lauren said, with women coming out of the limousine and we get to meet all of them and they're so diverse and there's so many women of color. And, you know, there was a woman who was um, experienced partial deafness and that was a big plot line as well. And she also, I believe, is half Korean. Um, So, but then what we saw after that is um, with any reality TV show, there are going to be people who are given more screen time than others and who have a character created for them based on the editing. The Bachelor is notorious for that. They always Uh, cast a villain. They always cast a villain. Um, There's been, there's a Lifetime show, like a a drama, a fictional drama that is based off the Bachelor franchise and it's about the editors of the show and how they create drama. I mean, it's wild to think about in a lot of ways. Um, But what we started to see more is um, the white women were primarily given big storylines that were prominent and of the women of color who were not only given um, prominent storylines, but also given one-on-one dates. Um, Just to add some context, the bachelor, the person who is the bachelor, I mean, um, will choose people to go on -on one-on-one dates throughout the day. Um, The rest of the, or until you get to a certain point in the show, the rest of the women get to go on group dates altogether. Um, so the women of color who were given one-on-one dates, I believe it was all biracial, all biracial women the entire season. Um, is that correct? I believe so. Um, I know that, you know, at least in the final four, you know, this was the first time we actually had three out of the four women were women of color, but they all were biracial women. Yeah. So thank you. (laughs) Thank you for, thank you for clarifying that. Um, so, and then as the season progressed as well, um, I believe this season started with over 30 women, um, which is a lot. I mean, imagine you're dating 30 women. That's a lot of people. It's like a Friday night on Tinder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so, um, so at the beginning of the show, I mean, like, like swatches of women are eliminated and that happens in any season. That's just how they keep the show go. You know, that's how they keep it going within eight weeks. But um, women of color were eliminated much earlier Mm. than the white women in this show. And again, uh, you know, we want to stress that a lot of the show has to do with the way the producers make the content. Um, There was one, I almost said character. I mean, this person was a character. But there was (laughs) one person on the show named Victoria who definitely was framed not only as the villain, but also as someone who just like 
had a lot of issues, a lot of issues with herself and a lot of issues with the other women in the house. Um, this person was given a lot of screen time. I almost feel guilty like giving her this airtime right now because of the amount of screen time she was given. Um, and she also, um, she stayed on the show for a long period of time, um, even though a clear connection between her and Matt was not really being shown. Um, and typically th that is who gets to stay. Um, so Elizabeth, I'd love to hear um, some of your thoughts on this. Yeah, I, I think I want to go back to what you're saying about this was the most diverse cast. Mm. Um, but it was really sad for me that there was just there was just so much, uh, you know, just a spectrum uh, of color. And that's, you know, just as a Latina woman, I, I really do appreciate that. Um, but I just feel and Bachelor Data has has a pretty good uh, pie <laughs> diagram, whatever you call it. Pie chart. Pie chart. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, of just like the airtime, and it's and it's just crazy because you know you have white women like Victoria, MJ, Anna, Katie, Katie mm -hmm. who took up so Kit. and Kit, Kit. Um, who Ugh. just took up so much screen time but I can't even remember the rest of the cast mm. like I, I I remember falling in love with Alicia and she was the black ballerina that came out like pirouetting like Gorgeous. out of the limo and it was just it was just so beautiful and um and then there was another uh she was a social worker, I believe. I forgot mm -hmm. what her name is. Oh, Jessica? No. 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 Yeah. Um, but she she's from California, and um, I'm also from California, so it was really... And a dropped. social worker. And a social worker. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was, for me, I was just like, wow. And I follow her on Instagram, and, and for me, I was just like, whoa. Like, I wish I could see more of this. And, you mm -hmm. know, it wasn't until towards the end where we kind of saw more of Jasenia more and it, it was nice for me to kind of just see that representation but I feel in general I we didn't get to know any of these women mm -mm. we didn't get to know besides of the drama I mean you have Brie who had the first one-on-one um, -on -one and she really just talked you know her and Matt really connected and I feel you know if we're kind of going back to our general thoughts I think it's I think it's so hard for me to to even put a thought to it and to even just comment on who Matt is because I don't know who Matt is mm -hmm. I, I don't I don't know who he is I don't know who these women are I mean with Rachel Kirkconnell I don't know much of her besides of what um you know racist pictures or that have been brought up and you know resurfaced and all of that stuff Michelle, I know that she's a lovely teacher, but and she's just a wonderful human being. Oh my gosh, she's runner up. Yeah. To clarify, these two women are were in the top two at yes. the end of the show. Yeah. Um, and then you know, Brie and Serena P, who were, you know, three and four. Um, but I I really think um one of the contestants, it was either Piper or Kristen, who I think it was Kristen, who was like you know, you didn't get to see 
the darker skin skin women, mm-hmm. right? Like I don't know about Chelsea. I don't know about Kayla. I don't know about Lauren. I don't I don't know about these women. Like I, I barely even remember them. And it's that's so unfortunate. That's so unfortunate. And I think it also just brings an importance of colorism mm-hmm. into it that it doesn't matter, you know, there was a diverse cast, but there was I mean, I, I the Bachelor works in its ways, and I and I feel like a, like I don't know. You have these like unconscious biases, but the colorism was so so real, right? Mm-hmm. You saw the spectrum of um of the timeline that that they gave us, or you see a spectrum of how much time certain people are given, and unfortunately, you know, the blacker women had the less screen time. Yeah, and that I I just think that. For me, it doesn't matter how diverse it was because if they're just you know using this for face, mm-hmm. like it's like then don't give it to us at all. Yeah, yeah, I really feel like a lot of the work that they tried to do was very performative. You know, announcing yeah. that Jeans as the Bachelor in June is pretty much the definition of performative activism, and they claimed that they were doing more as producers, but. The producers are the ones who edit the show and they really featured the white female drama and none of the actual love stories, especially considering that the top three of Matt's four final women were women of color. They were lighter skinned women, but they were still women of color. And that has never happened before um, for a Bachelor series and that we barely knew anything about them and they were apparently his biggest connections and that is what is so shocking. And yeah, if you look at accounts like Bachelor Data or even just watching the show itself, I was like, I was so excited about Chelsea. Why do I know more about her from Instagram or a podcast interview than I do about her being on this season? And I think that that was very disappointing um, in general, just to see they had time to really improve the process and they really just didn't seem to. Yeah, definitely. And I think that, you know, this goes back to why the issues of The Bachelor did implode this season with the performative activism and the fact that we had these diverse faces, but did we actually, or did they actually um, give any depth to their stories or their character? Um, It sounds like the the consensus among us is that they did not. Yeah, Elizabeth, do you want to say a little bit more about that? And I think it's just so hard for me because coming off from the previous season of The Bachelorette with um, Tasha, mm-hmm. I mean, again, I, who I'm also pre- is a woman of color. Who's also a woman. She is black and Mexican. Mm-hmm. We just learned that she's Mexican last season, and I was like, woo! <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I I think you know, so many people said that that she had the best group of men, but I think. Taisha really knew what she wanted and she brought these questions and she was really um, pragmatic with what was going on and with each of the men. And um, it, I think I think she was very, I think she knew what she wanted, which is why it was so easy for her to like good riddance, chug a deuce to like the men mm-hmm. that she let go because she's like, this is, this is something that I don't want. Or there's something about you, so, like, bye. But in a much more compassionate way. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and I think that was just so hard to watch. But again, I feel like a lot of it isn't Matt's fault. I, I don't... Mm-hmm. I feel like, again, I don't know Matt. Um, Lauren shared to me that a podcast with Chelsea, I think it was Rachel Lindsay's and Becca's, that Chelsea talks about um, Matt talking about 
having like an afro or having dreads. Yeah. 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 So I think what Elizabeth is talking about is true. I mean, and I think that it all comes back to the edit that the producers gave Matt was just disgraceful. The way that they, I mean, I felt like they truly whitewashed him for America, the way that they barely shared any of his experiences. And I think it's so hard because if you're watching the show and you're not like doing the background research, you just think that he's this very boring, bland guy who just like, doesn't know how to relate to any of these women of color. Um, one of the pivotal moments of the season that I really enjoyed listening to and you know hearing about was Chelsea Vaughn um, talking about shaving her head and cutting her hair and talking about how as a black woman, that is her relationship with her hair is so important and cutting it all off was so freeing. And we saw Matt just say, oh wow, I can't imagine how hard that is for you. And then to hear um, Becca Kufrin and Rachel Lindsay, who are two former bachelorettes, have a podcast um, and they interviewed Chelsea Vaughn and her talking about, yeah, Matt shared his hair story too, how he has had cornrows, how he has had an afro and how when he cut his hair to the style it's in now, his white friends and white people who surrounded him talked about how much more approachable he was. And I feel like that was really the narrative that ABC wanted to spin for Matt is, ooh, like we have a black bachelor, but don't worry He's very approachable. He's friends with white people. He has a white mom to make it more palatable for the majority white audience. And his best friend is a white person. And then he also linked up with um, Hannah Brown, who is also a white woman. Mm -hmm. So he he is this he is this um, darker skinned man in the center of a white world. And ABC did a wonderful job at portraying that. Yeah. And one thing that comes to mind for me, that came to mind for me in the middle of the season, it honestly, it felt a little bit like watching Get Out. Um, (laughs) You and Twitter. You and Twitter. Me me and Twitter alike, right? Um, I do think I had that thought on my own, but there is a chance that it came from Twitter. (laughs) No, yeah, definitely, but yeah. But I mean, you know, for... Those of you who haven't seen the movie Get Out, first of all, you shouldn't. Go watch I mean, it. It's not a hint overrated. It's probably underrated, even though it's very highly rated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, great movie. But really, I mean, what Jordan Peele does in that film is tap into the ways that racism and white supremacy towards Black people in America mm-hmm. really does pervade. I mean, it's not, um, you know, it's not like all hate crimes and slurs and that sort of thing. I mean, there's this scene in the movie where, um, you know, Daniel Kaluuya's character is meeting um, his his white girlfriend's family and the dad says to him, oh, you know, I would have vote, voted for Obama a third time if I could. <laughs> um, and that, I think, is just such a telling scene in, uh, you know, in white people in America saying, I'm not racist. I don't hate people of color. I don't hate black people. Um, I voted for Obama. I voted for Obama. And in the movie, you know, the premise of the movie is these white people um, hypnotizing black people into um, submissiveness. They're going to a place called the sunken place. And then they're dressing a certain way and they're talking a certain way and they're doing things that... um, pertain to whiteness and make them palatable and so of course that's a drastic example and that I think was kind of Peele's point in the movie too is to make it dramatic and drastic but that's what I was thinking about a lot watching this season and watching the way that Matt's portrayed and I think 
you know, again, like the villainization might be a strong word for it, but the way that his father and his relationship with his father was portrayed. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. in the next episode, his mother comes on and she, and you know, his mother is a a white woman with gray hair and um, painted on rosy cheeks, which was a big (laughs) topic of conversation as well. We we don't have to go into that. Um, But she's kind of portrayed as this like voice of reason. Yeah. I mean, yeah. she comes to Matt. She meets his top two women mm-hmm. who are Michelle and Rachel Kirk. Yeah. So just for context, typically at the end of The Bachelor, the main contestant does meet the um, the, the, the bachelor meets the, the female contestants families and then vice versa. So typically the top two meet the family members of The Bachelor, which is generally like a pretty big deal because they're right. about to get ready for a proposal. Right. Typically. Right. Right. <laughs> And so uh, for that to be shown and for the, the contrast of that was so stark to me and I think to a lot of people. So we, we could talk about this for hours. All day. Um, all day. <laughs> 24 hours. <laughs> but I do, um, I do want to transition to talking about two of the biggest um, controversies. I don't even want to call them scandals because I don't think that does justice to the importance of them. But two controversies um, that fed into one another that happened this season which surrounded Rachel Kirkconnell, who was in the top two of this season, and Chris Harrison, who has been the host and executive producer of this show since it aired. Um, is he just is he the brainchild of The Bachelor, or did they kind of loop him in? I actually don't know. Um, he was looped in. You think he was looped in? Yeah. Because Mike Fleisch or Fleisch is the creator of The Bachelor franchise. Yeah. But Chris Harrison is an executive producer, and I think he's been the host since the beginning, at least. For as long as I've been watching. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. So um, you've heard us mention both of these names throughout the time we've been talking. Um, To give you a brief rundown, um, when the season began, so Rachel, um, she's a 24-year-old white woman from Georgia. Uh, She is a graphic designer, right? Not an interior designer, graphic designer. She's a graphic designer, yeah. She's a graphic designer. um, And she... um, she was kind of portrayed from the beginning as being someone who is nice. She and Matt have a connection. She yeah, doesn't very have any, attractive. Very attractive. Pretty. She doesn't have a lot of drama with other women in the house. Uh, but she was given a very good edit. She was given a very good edit. Um, and then comes um, on social media. Um, there started to be mm-hmm. uh, things that surfaced about posts that she liked that were um, pro-Trump that were uh, show demonstrations of racism, mm-hmm. um, that her parents were QAnon followers. Yeah. The um, first thing that I heard was on TikTok. Yeah. On the first episode of the season, or the second episode of the, the season, second, second episode of the season, somebody um, was laughing at the screen watching The Bachelor saying, this girl, ra- referring to Rachel Kirkconnell, used to bully me for liking black boys in school. And at the time, you know, everyone was like, oh, haha, like, wonder if that's true. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. Right. Yeah, I yeah, I was I was just going to say the same thing where I think after that people really started digging into who Rachel Kirkconnell is and they went deep she's from like the deep south and they went deep into her family, <laughs> like who her All family her is, her friends, and I think during this time she, you know, was kind of made aware cuz it was everywhere, right? And she already had like a pretty big following when she um, began as a contestant. And so she, I, I think yeah. if, correct me if I'm wrong, but she started 
like deleting posts or her, or her Instagram was very clean. Um, but people screenshotted pictures that she liked of her friends with, you know, Confederate flags. Um, and then I think the thing that really tipped the ice is that the iceberg what tipped the iceberg what was that was saying? the tip of the iceberg was the tip of the, <laughs> yeah. was the tip of the iceberg was um that photo of her at the antebellum mm-hmm. party which yes. um background it was at a fraternity at the school that Rachel attends and apparently this party uh, by the fraternity, like the National Fraternity Organization, was banned in 2016. Mm-hmm. But um, this this uh, chapter um, decided to throw it in 2018. And what was the party? So the party was, um, it was like an antebellum theme party. Um, and it was on a plantation. Yeah, and um, to, oh, sorry, did I interrupt you? No, I was just gonna say, and they, you know, they were dressed in the outfits, um, and it was the picture that Rachel Kirkconnell was found in. There was two photos. One, it was a group of twenty plus women dressed in, you know, antebellum dresses, and um, and then you have a selfie of her with two other women at the party or at the whatever events, um, and you know. Probably goes without saying, but going to say it anyway, everyone at this party was white. Mm-hmm. Uh, because one thing, and this is segues well into the next thing, that um, how this controversy fed into the other major controversy of this season. Uh, so Rachel Lindsay, who we've talked about, who was a former bachelorette. First um, black bachelorette. Yep, she is the first black bachelorette. Um, she hosts a podcast. Um and she hosts um, a talk show as well. Yeah, so she's a talk show host for Extra now as well. Right. So she, yes, thank you. Um, she is a lawyer too. Yes. Really? She is, she yeah. is a lawyer. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. so she That's was cool. a lawyer in Texas um, and now has kind of converted into more of like a media-based career, but does have sports-based gigs and extra gigs. Right. Yeah, podcasts. and really quickly, um, I was told that her dad is a judge he is a judge he is a judge mm-hmm. and he refused to be on her season yes he of... did withdraw himself from yeah. the hometowns on her season because he didn't think it yeah. would be ethical yeah. for people to see their judge on the bachelor that's funny so you know some people on the bachelor have ethics yeah <laughs> shockingly so so essentially um so rachel interviews uh, so rachel um after these photos of Actually, so we're about to talk about two Rachels. So I guess we should all try to be clear about who we're talking about. So Rachel Lindsay Mm -hmm. interviews Chris Harrison um, about Rachel Kirkconnell. So the interview started just being about the Bachelor franchise in general. And towards the end of the interview, Rachel Lindsay just asked Chris Harrison a simple question. What do you think about these allegations against Rachel Kirkconnell? Yeah. And so things kind of progressed from there. Um, Essentially, you know, this was, I believe it was about eight minutes of them going back and forth. Um, We don't have to regurgitate the whole conversation, but Chris was essentially defending Rachel Kirkconnell throughout this. He said a lot of notable things that he said were things such as, so these photos were taken in 2018, and he says, like, well, is was this not okay in 2020, or is it not okay in 2018? Mm-hmm. One of the things that Rachel Lindsay said was, Chris, if I was at that party as a who black woman, who would I be? What would I be wearing? Um, Chris kind of continued to defend Rachel, to talk about cancel culture he kept saying things like the woke police 
which was very weird. Um, and Elizabeth, do you want to elaborate a little bit more on that? I just, I just wanted to share that uh, Chris Harrison, when he was beginning to address uh, Rachel O'Connell with Rachel Lindsay, he first said um, he um, something along the lines of like, I am not going to comment yeah, on Rachel. I can't speak for I her. I can't speak for her. Mm-hmm. But then continues to speak for her. Yeah. Um, so I, I really think, I think like for me, when I first watched it, I was just like, in my head, I was like, how are you not going to speak on this? But I honestly don't expect much more from a white man with his, um, status, with his status, (laughs) no power, power, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, because in Peter's season, they also used Rachel Lindsay as pretty much like a pawn to talk about bullying. Um, and that was in um, Peter season. The, that, uh, the, the woman Tala. She was not um, a contestant on yes, Peter season. Yeah, yeah. so. She um, was brought in and used by the franchise to lead a discussion on bullying. When what Rachel Lindsay faced was straight up racism. Mm-hmm. Um, they actually cast a, a member on her uh, series season that also was had racist history notable on social media. Yeah. And let him continue on the whole season. Um, and, you know, Rachel Lindsay at Peter's um, Women Tell Law, you know, she, they, they showed these really like racist messages to her and I believe she even said the n-word but like obviously on tv they bleeped it out um and they they said that this was bullying (laughs) you know and they compared this experience that she faced um to this at the same level of I believe what one of like the white contestants or a group of the white contestants were facing which bullying in general um, don't do it. It's bad. It really, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it, you know, it's just so harmful, but I think to use a black woman to talk about this in a way that it doesn't affect so much more of her identity, mm-hmm. like Rachel Lindsay is, has been used by the franchise. And I think, you know, I, I'm all for, you know, by POC, should never have to educate people. I feel like it's very mm-hmm. easy just to be like a, a a good person or you know just not say racist things, but um you know, yeah. It's it, the responsibility of white people involved to be educating themselves about racism, not for people of color to tell them what that experience is. Right. And I would say too that you know, I also watched that thing happened where the <laughs> franchise brought Rachel Lindsay on to talk about bullying, bullying, quote unquote, right now. Um, and I was just floored by the, um, I don't even know a word for it, by, by the sheer, like, um, ignoring of what the actual elephant in the room was, which mm-hmm. is racism. And I think that totally loops back to the way that the show palatizes itself the way that it makes itself Mm -hmm. palatable for white Mm -hmm. viewers um you know personally I come from a mass media academic background and so I'm of the view that they do that because you know they're on ABC they serve this very large general viewership and so 
I personally, I don't know if I feel that it's ever possible for them to really go against the grain because they are the grain. Mm -hmm. They'd be going against themselves. Um, And I wonder, you know, if, if there is going to be a way for them to effectively address these issues. Um, One thing I want to say to give uh, the ending of the Chris Harrison situation Uh, His responses and conversation with Rachel Lindsay um, caused a lot of backlash. Mm -hmm. Um, The people, uh, specifically um, the women of color who were on this season of The Bachelor, Mm -hmm. came together. They released a joint statement. Um, It was actually mostly all the contestants, including the white women on this season. And the majority of the contestants from Taysha slash Claire's season as well released a similar statement. So they all came together together. you know, releasing a statement saying that they stand together, they stand against racism. Um, and they stand with Rachel. And they stand with Lindsay. Rachel. <laughs> Lindsay. To be clear about that, they stand with Rachel Lindsay. Um, and Rachel Kirkconnell did release an apology um, for the photos a few days after this interview. As has Chris Harrison. As, Chris Harrison did too. I believe Rachel Lindsay was interviewed about this interview later on and said that when they were off the air, it seemed like Chris Harrison didn't feel the need to apologize. Yeah, so she actually talked about this on her other podcast mm-hmm. with Van Lathan, um, Higher Learning, where when they, she said she really had to step back in this interview to kind of let Chris Harrison show his true colors. And in, in the sense, he kind of dug his own grave mm-hmm. of, you know, when they got off, he acted like everything was fine. I mean, she's had a relationship with Chris Har- Harrison for a few years. She was the Bachelorette. She was on a Bachelor season. She's been brought in by the franchise and he acted as if everything was normal and as soon as the backlash started only then did he reach out to her personally and apologize and publicly apologize but he really didn't think that anything he said was wrong in the moment um and mike johnson a contestant from hannah brown season um he was also on a podcast i think it was with taylor nolan Mm, um mm -hmm. this was one of the i uh so mike johnson a contestant from hannah brown season he, this is the last podcast I believe that Taylor Nolan um, uh, publicized um, released. and released. <laughs> um, and Mike Johnson said that Chris Harrison called him to apologize personally. Personally, but Mike Johnson was like, Why are you apologizing to me? Right? So it, you know, I, I think again, it just feels very scripted as, as you know as I'm sure it was, because as Lauren said, um, he didn't apologize, Chris Harrison didn't apologize to Rachel Lindsay. In the moment. In the moment, until after the fact, you know, all of this, you know, went viral. Yeah, and for some added context too, um, Mike Johnson is a black man. He Mm -hmm. was on Hannah Brown's season, like Elizabeth said. Um, And when he was not chosen to be The Bachelor after that season, that was was the season that um, this guy Peter, who was also on Hannah's season, was chosen to be Bachelor, um, and that also was the season where this whole Rachel Lindsay bullying catastrophe that we were referencing happened. Um, a lot of people were upset that Mike was not chosen. I mean, I was Bachelor. devastated. Oh, I he was, was <laughs> He was. He was a fan favorite. He still um, is. He still is. Um, you know, he had like Demi Lovato like sliding into his DMs. <laughs> like he, he was a big deal. So he, I think he's my favorite MJ. Oh, <laughs> over Michael Jordan and Katie's vibrator? Yeah. 
Because I, I don't want Katie's vibrator. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so in any event, um, so, um, so let's keep talking about, um, you know, the, the Rachel apology, yeah. the, the Rachel Kirkconnell apology, the Chris apology. Um, and then we need to talk a little bit about after the final rose, which is, um, it's a little talk segment that mm-hmm. happens, um, when the season finale airs. So this was on Monday night. Um, and then what are, you know, some predictions for where we think this franchise Oof. is going. So, so, um, so what are your guys, uh, your guys' thoughts on, so could one of you maybe summarize, um, just really quickly what each of their apologies was? I, I think it's, I think it's interesting because when these apologies are initiated, like, of course I do believe in people being able to, you know, come back from certain things like this and being able to change and learn and grow. But I think what two black girls, when Rose really said that resonated with me was I don't care about apologies. I care about action. So I think what, I think the apologies, I mean, Chris Harrison first released a written statement. People said that wasn't enough. You should show your face. He was on Good Morning America, which is an ABC related show, you know, a show on ABC and apparently made another apology where he kind of just dug himself a deeper hole. I didn't watch that. Rachel Kirkconnell did make a written statement as well as a video. Um, But I think what, I think what, you know, two black girls, one rose really said and resonates with me is like, I care about the actions that come next. Um, And I think that what... Rachel said on After the Final Rose and that, you know, experience was also really interesting as well. Yeah, um, I think Rachel Kirkconnell's first statement, um, what I really appreciated and what, you know, what we don't really hear from apologies is, you know, she's apologizing, but she also emphasized that she understands if people won't accept her apology. And, you know, that she will work towards that apology or she would work towards people accepting her apology, but also would understand if people don't won't won't forgive her. And I, and yeah. I think that's so important. Um, and I and I really think that's where growth comes from. Right. Mm. Um, Rachel and I were just recently talking about what it looks like to apologize to people. And mm. if we're coming at it from a point of you know, what, what's the outcome? Is the outcome how we will feel or is the outcome hoping what the other person will feel towards us? Um, to really think about that, and I, and I really think Rachel Kirkconnell's apology um, emphasized that point. And in her, in like her caption, she wrote that if you are not a part of the groups that I, um, if you are not a part of the groups that I hurt, then this isn't really for you and you shouldn't really comment that, mm-hmm. um, which I think is important. And, you know, s- scripted or not, people are going to have their different thoughts on it. But I-, I just think it's really important to emphasize that mm-hmm. and to be like, you know, this isn't about you. If it doesn't affect you, then it isn't about you. Yeah. And she's also said on After the Final Rose and in her apologies that, you know, several people... I'm assuming predominantly white people have said to her, I don't think anything that you did was wrong. People in my town used to have parties like this. It's just a Southern thing. And that's the bad part. And, the, and, that's, the, and that's, part. that's the hard part. Yeah. Is that, but I think what she did well was really call those people out of, I don't need your support in my actions that were wrong, my racist actions. I need your support in calling me out to do better moving forward. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she said that on after the final rose as well. 
Yeah, and I think that's a really good segue into a conversation about After the Final Rose mm-hmm. um, and her apology on that and the conversation that took place um, between Matt and Rachel on that segment. So, Rachel, spoiler alert coming. If you have not finished the season, you might want to turn this off. Um, but Rachel Kirkconnell was the winner of this season. It did not end in a proposal, but it did end in Matt and Rachel having a relationship. Um, and on after the final rose, Matt revealed that he ended things with Rachel after these photos of her came out. And it was confirmed that she was the person in them. Mm -hmm. Uh, He had previously been aware of a lot of the social media rumors about her, but he did say, he he said that he was telling himself that they were just rumors. But when these photos came out, it became very real for him, um, according to what he said on that show. Um, To loop it back to Chris Harrison as well, um, after Chris uh, apologized and people really did not accept that apology for a lot of reasons we just discussed, uh, it was announced that he would not be coming back to the next season of The Bachelor or Bachelorette, to the franchise in general, I guess you could say. There's another show on it called Bachelor in Paradise, which I'm very excited for. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, but so he was not present after the final rose because they film it... Um, They film it like a week before the finale airs. uh, And this controversy all began to have really blew up about a a little bit less than a month ago, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the host of After the Final Rose was someone named Emmanuel Acho, uh, who is, um, he's a former NFL player. He is a black man. And it was announced that he would be uh, taking over hosting duties Mm -hmm. in the interim. Yeah, he's also um, hosts a show called Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man and has wrote a book with the same title. Yes. Um, So he was the person who interviewed, um, he interviewed Matt and Rachel. He also interviewed um, Michelle, who was the runner-up on the show, and they Mm -hmm. announced who the Bachelorettes are. Um, But I really want to focus on um, the conversation between Matt and Rachel that took place. so Lauren or Elizabeth, does one of you want to open us up and uh, telling us a little bit about what that conversation was? Yeah, so it was really Matt addressing, giving the audience a a perspective on how the conversation went. Um, you know, he addressed Rachel that he she he he pretty much he well he did say that like she did not understand what was wrong in the photos Mm -hmm. and she acknowledged that as well and she acknowledged that too but in the moment she was you know she didn't she didn't understand that and he goes to further say like you know you that if you know her not understanding this that doesn't then she is not seeing his identity as a black man i've actually had um a handful of conversations about this and um i I really think, so some of the conversations that I had, people were addressing Rachel Kilcano in that moment. Like he was explaining to Rachel Kilcano what she did was wrong. But I really believe that he was addressing to the audience what she did was wrong, mm-hmm. right? Because you still have these groups of people that believe that she didn't do anything wrong. They already had their conversation. Mm. They are, you know... Uh, spoiler alert, they broke up. 
Shocker. Shocker. After this happened, they broke up. So I really feel like they already had this conversation and him readdressing this in the space that they were in was not to her, but it was to the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there, there was a point where Emmanuel Acho, um, he was pretty dramatic. He was like, hey, you know, Rachel, this might be the last time you see uh, Matt James. <laughs> How about one last embrace? How about last, one last embrace and Matt James was not about it. But they did um, not embrace. They did not. <laughs> I think when I think when Matt James, they were holding hands in the beginning, but then once Matt James brought up his identity as a black man, he did pull away. I rewatched the episode two times last night. I was like, wait until two a.m. Um, but <laughs> just rewatching that. But um, yeah. So I really think that's how it was, and you know, Rachel mm-hmm. talked about how she would never find another person like him that Mm -hmm. you know it sounds like he was her first love and as she was his because neither of them have really experienced um love and 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 I feel like that sucks because they both deeply loved each other but then what what happens when you find out that you know the person that you love has this type of history and when you address it they don't understand that yeah yeah, Elizabeth, I, I'm i happy that you, you know, that, that was a really good summary and um, you brought up uh, the, you know, the that portion of identity that really mm-hmm. weighed into yeah. their relationship. Um, and one of the things that I, I don't remember what um, Acho's exact question was uh, to Matt in this portion, but essentially Matt acknowledge that this is was a reason to end the relationship and it was a valid reason because like you said Elizabeth he said that um if she couldn't see what was wrong with the photos Mm -hmm. then she wasn't seeing him and his identity Mm -hmm. as a black man and it got it you know I had a thought from that that that's a a beyond valid reason to Mm -hmm. end a relationship and I feel like that is the elephant in the room in a lot of interracial relationships where mm-hmm. race is not discussed, where you have rapport in a lot of other ways, but to love a person is to love them for everything about them and all of their identities. Um, yeah. And I can, you know, not from my own perspective, because again, I am coming at this as a white woman, but, you know, I am sure for Matt, you know, having Rachel not respect his blackness and how being black has impacted his life and not being able to understand that. Um, I, I, it was easy for me to see why Matt would say that he had to end the relationship over that. Um, and I, that's something that impacts again, so many interracial, not just interracial romantic relationships, but interracial friendships as well. Um, and why there are so few, um, white people specifically Mm -hmm. who don't have substantive relationships with people who are not white. Mm. Yeah. I think the thing that stood out to me the most is although this question kind of upset me, I feel like it is the opinion of what a lot of people are thinking out there in the bachelor universe is Manuel Acho asks, you know, to Matt, what do you have to say to people who say, well, if you can't stick it out with Rachel through this, you've never really loved her or something along Mm. those lines. And I think that, That's a sentiment that is just so unfair to put the responsibility of teaching Rachel Kirkconnell about racism, teaching her about how 
her racism has impacted him and having to deal, I think Matt at one time said, I don't, I can't be responsible for your tears. And, you know, she has hurt him. She has hurt the black community. She has hurt so many people with these actions and it's not his responsibility as a black man to be educating her about this and to stick with her through this if it's not, you know, if that's not something he wants to do and he shouldn't be expected to do that. Yeah, I, I want to go back to like the identity portion. Um, again, as we addressed before, we don't know who Matt is. We don't know what he is besides what's on his resume as the first black bachelor, right? Mm -hmm. Where um, he was a football player. He's from North Carolina. Um, his dad is black and his dad, uh, you know, left the family and his mom is a white woman um, and that he's never been in love. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, when I was watching the woman tell all in my head, I was just like, if it wasn't for this con, because ABC centered, focused so much on, you know, on focusing on like the whiteness of Matt, besides him being the black bachelor, I feel like there was just so much focus on, you know, him being white. My thought was, you know, if it wasn't for you know, this being all over social media, he would have stayed with Rachel Coconnell. Mm. But it goes back to the point where I don't know who Matt is. I I don't know what his identity as a black man means to him. I, I don't know how, what his experiences are, how he has maneuvered in this world. Um, So it was so easy for me to quickly jump and be like, he would have been with her if it wasn't for, if it wasn't for as big as the controversy, you know, he would have stayed with her. But in reality, I really don't know because yeah. I don't I don't know I don't know that, right? I don't I don't know his experience because that's the last thing they talked about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And again, uh, you know, coming from like we unless we meet Matt in person and we talk with him, um, you know, we're not gonna have the answers to mm -hmm. that. The same thing goes for yeah. any public figure. Yeah. But I just I wish that ABC and the producers gave us more of an opportunity to have those answers and to be more, you know, to have more insight into who he is. Because yeah. though, yes, we don't know him, we never will know him until we meet him and have yeah. conversations with him. But the first time had, he even mentioned yeah. his blackness was at After the Final Rose. And I think just him as like a whole person as well. It's yeah. like we just um, never had the opportunity to get to know so many things about him and things about his blackness and what his relationship to that was. Yeah. And just in, I, I think just going back to his identity as a black man, um, at the, at the, after the final rose, Emmanuel Acho, you know, asked Matt how it was for him to be the first black bachelor, but at the woman tell all with Chris Harrison, it was never mentioned. Yeah. And they really use that a as first. a selling point for the season, but then didn't bring it up. Um, and I think another thing that I want to address that was shown on Twitter and it really just sparked a memory was at the very, you know, beginning of the season, you see this conversation that Matt is having with Rachel Kirkconnell about what do you think your parents are going to say about dating a black man? Mm. Um, but as things, you know, that, that was, that was in the, that was in the, in the commercials, right? That was in 
you know, they showed that. Um, those are some clips. But then when it came to her being, um, you know, the runner-up, or not the runner-up, when it came to what was that, Fantasy Suites, mm -hmm. they completely edited that out. And so if you're it was, saying that in the previews they showed this conversation and then they never showed it? They never showed it. Damn. And that that really resurfaced um, on Twitter after Fantasy Suites. I think it was just Jared. Um, mm -hmm. He he retweeted that, and he was just like, you know, this is this this was shown. So this it's obviously edited out. Yeah, thank you. So that is a really important um, perspective to have. Um, so I do. Um, I want to ask you guys. I think that was a really good in depth exploration of what this after the final rose conversation meant um and just for people who didn't watch it um the conversation that rachel and matt had was probably only 10 minutes it was really short but there was so much happening there oh my gosh was there so much happening that was, was not shown and i'm mad was so a, much was not shown and it felt like a really long 10 minutes it was very intense yeah um, and they cut a lot out of the after final rose apparently there was an unaired conversation with michelle young who was the runner-up um, who is a woman of color um, and will be one of the next Bachelorettes with Rachel Kirkconnell, where they address the photos, and that was that was cut out as well. Wow. And also Bree Springs, and she was um, the third runner, yeah. runner up. Mm -hmm. um, and was there? She, she was there. <laughs> she had really? she mm -hmm. had an interview with Emmanuel Acho, although she did not speak to Matt or Rachel was, or Rachel. Um, she was not. She was not shown. That's, yeah, that's interesting. Um, All goes back to just production really royally screwing up this whole season. It really does. And that's a really good segue um, to wrap us up. I keep saying things are good segues. <laughs> but that's a good way to wrap things up. Um, so just, um, I'd like it if we could all share where we think the franchise is going after this and what our predictions are for the future. Um, Lauren, can I start with you? Yeah, so I think that I, I'm i really kind of at a crossroads with if I want to continue watching this franchise because I feel like they royally um, messed up this season and I feel like I want to have hope that they can change. Like, I believe that people can change, but the fact that they... <laughs> the two acts of performative activism that they just did. So they announced the new hosts for the Bachelorette season was Caitlin Bristow and Tasha Adams, a white woman and a woman of a black woman, a woman of color. And then to announce the two next Bachelorettes is Katie and Michelle, a white woman and a woman of color. Just feels truly like they're trying to appease all people and really keep their, you know, their white audience and continue this as a white centric show they're already quarantining for the next season so i don't really know what the producers could have learned in this time and yeah chris has stepped down it's not confirmed that he's definitely fired but what is he really gonna do in the next you know six months to be able to come back and film i think that i would love to see change but unless they, unless they have a whole new production staff or some really good training i don't know what kind of training they could give them um but to really get them to understand and to be able to center experiences of color and how to work around those issues. I I really have no expectations for this franchise. My bar is very low because they've again, you know, Lauren's talking about performative activism and that's that's what they are, right? Like that's that's truly what they are and um 
So, so I really don't know. I, I think one thing that just comes to mind is some of the contestants from Tasha season and from this current season, um, predominantly the the black contestant said that if Chris Harrison were to host Bachelor in Paradise, that they would not be a part of it. Um, so, I mean, I feel like there's so... I, I'm just looking to see what the contestants do. I'm not even mm-hmm. focusing on who, you know, the producers, all of that stuff. That's... that's I, I'm more paying attention to these contestants because I feel like they've just been so much more vocal um, in these movements um, all over social media and just being a part, like, interviews and podcasts and stuff like that. Definitely. Right. Yeah, I, I agree with what a lot of what you both said. Um, I think that I also am feeling a little unsure about how much I want to continue to keep up with the franchise. I know I said before I'm excited for Paradise. Um, <laughs> Always. But then uh, Paradise <laughs> is a little bit more chaotic than the normal seasons, and I, I do love chaos. <laughs> I do love watching other people's chaos. Um, but again, um, you know, and I think I agree with the contestants that if Chris Harrison were to host it, I don't really want to watch it. I don't really have interest in consuming his work and his brand anymore. Um, I think another thing too um, that you both brought up is, you know, how much, how much could these producers really have learned about their actions in less than eight weeks time? I mean, gosh, like this is a country that was built on white supremacy and (laughs) built on slavery. It's been over 200 years of this. And, you know... And they, they had their host say, you know, is this not okay in 2020 or is it not okay in 2018? So yeah. I'm just like, who? what has he said behind closed doors? Yeah. What has been edited out? What is going on? Who are the people that are a part of this? Yeah. And Chris Harrison is also a producer. This? He's part of the production staff yeah. in addition to being the host. Right. So. And personally, I, I mentioned this a little bit before, but I'm a, a real believer in you know, systems determining the outcomes of things and determining, you know, why things are the way they are. And unfortunately, I just don't know if it's within ABC's bandwidth as a major broadcasting company um, and this giant organization that I can only assume is run by (laughs) older white men at the top who make the decisions um, to change things. I think that, you know, I think, Elizabeth, I think what you said about following the contestants and what they do and how they're feeling about things might be the path that I take and could potentially be the path that a lot of people take. I think I, it was the one thing that was heartening in a sense was maybe heartening is not the right word, but maybe relieving was that Mm. the comments that there was so much backlash against the racism that people, um, did, you know, call out Chris Harrison, um, and that, you know, it wasn't in the sense of, you know, I don't, we can't really have a conversation about like cancel culture right now, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it wasn't in the frame of like cancel Chris Harrison. It was very much a conversation on social media of like what Chris Harrison did was wrong and what Rachel did was wrong. And here's why. And here's are the way, here are the ways that they should take accountability for that. And I thought that that was, yeah. it was good for, cause I always feel like I'm in a, 
minority of bachelor and bachelorette watchers who actually is paying attention to this stuff and, <laughs> like you know I feel like that's like a, that's like it's me and my us. friends that's just us it's not yeah. the greater population so I was I was like okay that's one thing that I'm glad that I was wrong about I'm glad that people do care about this yeah. and that it's enough people care about it to get um these two people who were involved to get change to, made to, yeah. I mean we have we have talk about power it. as viewers if we watch or don't watch so we can use that power in the future yeah, well, thank you both so much for joining me to talk about this important topic. I was really happy. I mean, obviously, we talk about this all the time. We watch the show together. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, so I couldn't think of two people who I knew who were better equipped to have this conversation. Uh, thank you so much for uh, doing this with me. Thank you, Rachel. You thank were a you, wonderful Rachel. host. Thank you. All right. Have a good day, evening, night, whenever you're listening. Bye.